Hello, and welcome to the Popcorn for Dinner podcast. I'm Abe B. I'm here with Priscilla, and we're in Mandalore, which is extremely dangerous, and we're very daring people. So it's probably not going to be all that dangerous for us. But I guess we're also delusional people, and we might die. But Priscilla, tell me how you're feeling. Do you know what? I wasn't expecting this episode to jump straight in. It was quite a lot. Which they they get straight to the yeah. point, don't they? Because I was like, we're going to go on a little side quest, like we always do. Nope, we're going straight there. We even saw Mythosaur. Like, I saw the Mythosaur, and I thought, oh, I was yeah. sat there, I paused, and I had to contemplate. <laughs> you were like, wait, what am I watching? <laughs> I don't know if you need a press junket. Pedro Pascal has been dodging, bobbing, or weaving the idea of a Mythosaur coming up. People have been asking him. Yeah, people have asked him, and he's like, okay. nah. Like, nah. Because obviously we knew he was going to expand into Mandalore, so obviously we knew he was going to go into the waters. He wants to, you know, repent for something. I don't even know why he needs to repent before, but that's, that's a different conversation for a different day. Yes, it is. Yes. He kept, like, denying it. So I actually believed him. And I thought, you know what, like, if he's been so vehemently against this, maybe it's not happening. And I'm like, it'd be too, it'd be too much to put it in this season. If it was a next season thing, I understand. And he gets to the 43rd minute and I'm seeing, and then Bo-Katan now confronts it. And I'm like, like the way I had to pause and get my life together, because I was. I you were like shocked as she was, essentially. And you had no yeah, idea what to do. I was like, every little thing of the episode kept shocking me. Like, when Bo-Katan, like, sort of referenced her sister, I thought, oh, like, we're bringing, we're bringing her up. We're talking we're about the sister. Clone Wars, yep. We're talking about the Clone Wars, the better sister, Obi-Wan's piece on the side. Like, oh, we're talking better about Better sister? Wow. Freda Duchess. This is where you stand? This is where I stand. You really just did that. <laughs> okay. I stand tenders. I was, the way I was shipping Satine and Obi-Wan was unhealthy was unhealthy unhealthy well at least you know this is quite an eventful episode as we kind of have seen in in many instances with the mandalorian there's a lot of exploration here that kind of leads to you know internal dialogue you can see din having within himself even through the helmet i mean Pedro pascal's helmet acting is just amazing and the body double does an incredible job too um we find ourselves going to a few places in this episode um, of course, this one was directed by Rachel Morrison and written by John Favreau, who also created the show, as we know, and executive produces it with Dave Filoni. So we actually start off on a somewhat, I don't want to say disappointing note, but I don't know, I can't be the only person who saw this episode and immediately thought, Tatooine, again? Like, I'm 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 part of that little sect, right? That's that's just that's just begging, okay, for these people to take us to places that are not tattooed. We can't keep going back to Tatooine. I understand the need for fan service. I understand how nostalgia is profitable, but we can't keep going back to Tatooine. On some level, I guess it's necessary because you know Emmy Ceteris is here, and you know I love seeing her uh, as Pelly. In this episode, the, the mechanical lady. It's kind of weird hearing her sometimes because it feels like Princess Carolyn is the one talking from, from Bojack because she's the one who voices Princess Carolyn. Yeah. Um, but I guess that just means her voice is iconic. Her relationship with the Jawas has gotten out of hand, which is funny and expected. Her relationship, uh, relationship with Grogu is hilarious. 
it really is. I mean, she's more of a scammer than the Jawas are. Uh, that whole thing of stealing parts and then returning it at, to people for a price is quite crazy. I mean, they did it to Obi-Wan too, in, <laughs> which I, I don't know, it's just becoming a, a trend, but it's always crazy to me how everyone can just understand the beeps and boops of droids. Like, it's one, it's an, always been an interesting thing in Star Wars, how like the droids just do all that stuff and we're supposed to kind of understand what they might mean through the contextual clues of like what other people are reacting to. So people are having these conversations with the droids and we're just going to be like, oh, okay, cool. I guess that makes sense. But I, I just think that's funny. You are so spot on. Because <laughs> when I was in Disneyland, yeah, R2's thing, how the hell does C-3PO understand anything you're saying? Quite I'm literally. Like, so what do you want? Like he's literally talking at you. Is that when Grogu does the and then Rando's like, yeah, yeah, I understand, I understand. I'm like, I know that's your, I know that's your son, but how do you understand what he's saying? Mm-hmm. For me, he just sounds like a baby. Is that- I don't know. Maybe it's like a connection thing. Maybe it's a force thing. I mean, she clearly believes in the force. She when they fly away, she says, "May the force, force be, be with, with you. you." But then again, she's a scammer. She has, she's, she has to show herself believing in a lot of things. <laughs> um. But yeah, I, I think I think it's I think it's really fun that there's so much um you know lore in this. We we see them having um well why by them I mean her and the Jawas. They're having a real time of it scamming people um at this festival, um, which is the same festival that was happening in episode one, where we meet Anakin Skywalker for the first time as a child. And of course, um he's from Tatooine and this is sort of, you know, the place where Din also got his own N1 Starfighter. I mean, there's always, there's so much reason to go back to Tatooine, which annoys me because I want us to see other places. Um, but, but I definitely like that, at least in The Mandalorian, every time we go there, it's something new that adds sort of new depth to things that we already understand. I mean, what do you think? I completely agree with absolutely everything you just said. I'm sick of Tatooine. I actually get what Anakin was saying. I hate sand. I hate it too. Oh, sand. <laughs> I hate sand so much. I hate sand so much. Anyone who knows me is dying Every laughing time right now. we're here and we see those two sunsets, I'm like, damn, nigga, again. Like, <laughs> we're here again. <laughs> like, it's only in, like, John Favreau and Dave Filoni projects that I don't mind us going there because there's a substantial reason as to why we're there. We're not there for any other reason than this is key to the plot. Yeah. So when Dave Filoni or John Favreau is like, we're going to Tatooine for a little for a little for a little bit, for a little holiday, a little vacation. I don't mind. I'm like, okay, fair enough. I know we're not gonna be here too long. And uh-huh. we'll go. But sometimes I'm like, like, let's go. Cause I feel like Rachel and John together did it right like we were only there for three minutes i got my little mm-hmm. pelly moment got my little grogu you know flipping himself over got my jawas and we got a new droid and we were off straight into mandalore which i prefer because i feel like if we spent longer than the time we spent there i'm like we need to get this show on the roads yeah they did a lot in those three minutes i mean even even in terms of callbacks because she asked him who taught him how to leap like that and it was actually Luke Skywalker who taught him how to do that um, when he was training with him. And we saw that in the book of Boba Fett, which, you know, still wild that this show is making callbacks to a different show. But hey, it is what it is. Um, Did you see the news article about that, about what Jon Favreau said? Um, What did he say? About how it was two years that he spent there? Two years. I I don't even know if I believe that. I don't don't know how that works out. 
I don't. It, it kind of works out, but the time is really it works interesting. Out for Grogu. Yeah, because it works out specifically for Grogu. It makes sense as to how he's like that in two years. Boba Fett doing all that in two years doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, because he, he didn't do much. He, he, he ain't do much. Did a few yeah. bits of Cad Bane, and that was it. So I guess for but, Grogu, but, I can understand. Yeah, the place is doing interestingly now, thanks to you know everything that happened in the book of Boba Fett. I guess the place is starting to prosper. Um, so there's a there's a lot that we can kind of take from that. Um, but still, you know, we we do move on to Mandalore pretty quickly. Um, what were your first impressions, or I guess I don't know, hundredth impressions, depending on how you've seen you've how much you've seen Mandalore. I've seen quite a bit of it because of the law, but um, it was really interesting seeing it on the screen. Um, mm-hmm. And Live it action. was really interesting hearing Din say it's not as dead as I thought it was. But yeah, because like, you know he's never been. Like, because you were never there. Not yeah. your fault. That That's my single father. I love you dearly with everything <laughs> in me. But, like, dude, you were never there. Yeah. Um, you were never there. But, yeah, it reminded me. I don't know about you. But it reminded me of you. You have you read or watched the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings series? Yes. yes. So you know where Smaug is hidden. Yes. That entire bit reminded me of Bilbo trying to trick Smaug. Interesting. And he has the ring, and that, that's and then we saw the Mythosaur at the end. Cause I kept thinking, "This I'm getting something from this," but I couldn't get my finger of what that something was. And then I was, I think I. I was watching another guy talk about it and he mentioned Lord of the Rings and the first thing that popped in my head was oh Bilbo and Smaug when he's in the Hobbit and he's basically trying to you know do riddles with Smaug and the Smaug is hidden under all the riches mm-hmm. and that's what that entire plot line um that where they were reminded me of um which was quite interesting actually um but now I thought it was beautiful in a dark way. I think it's interesting to see the after effects of the purge of Mandalore. It's something that's talked about in the law, but obviously all the time. for a casual viewer, all the time, bloody hell in the purge. It's there, that and the Jedi, as you should, because that was a genocide. <laughs> but yes. um it was literally genocide. But for the casual viewer, um you probably will know the purge of the Jedi because of all the sixty six and how common knowledge that is but the purge of the mandalore is not something you're gonna really know too much so it was really interesting that they showed the heavy effects of it of how it's still somewhat prospering now but the after effects of what the emperor and the empire did um to them which was really sad actually man palpatine needs to be wherever he is now i don't know he ain't dead easy but wherever he is needs to be brought back and killed again yeah um, i don't know i remember every time i think of palpatine i just I just have this. Um, I just have this image in my head of Poe Dameron going. Somehow Palpatine returned. That's my best Oscar Isaac, and I just get so mad. I'm like, what do you mean by that? How dare you say that to me in this theater? Like, I can't. For, man, that was it. That was a hard time in life. I I paid money to go see this movie by myself. Okay, I went on Christmas Day. Okay, and I watched this movie. And then everything is going fine, and then all of a sudden, somehow Palpatine returned. I'm like, what? I could, you could just hear the groans of frustration from all the people around me, thinking like, you better not be serious, bro. But that aside, you know, Bogotan did say that the Empire set out to punish the Mandalorians, and that's very interesting to me. I know I talked a lot about 
you know, biblical themes of redemption, of persecution as well. You know, this, this statement that she makes bring me, brings me back to that because I said even a lot more about the Mandalorians really being reminiscent of this idea of a persecuted people, the persecuted race. I know, you know, One Piece fans will recognize this terminology, um, kind of since it's like a great cleansing was, was ordered, oh. but I think it falls in line with the cataclysmic event that occurs and is referred to as the purge. And that event obviously is that destruction of their planet. Uh, I, I think it's also, it brings in more parallels to later stage Attack on Titan um, episodes. And I feel like it's bringing in a lot of ideas of like what people really believe, you know, when they're in that place, like in this huge, you know, domed hall, um, he asks, uh, you know, without the creed, what are we? Um, are people that scattered like stars in the galaxy? And, you know, that, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? You know, so I, I feel like they're really building on these ideas. It's feeling less and less like, like a Western and more like a sprawling epic. And there's a huge story here that's coming um, into themes of loss of, loss of faith, um, revival of faith. Mm. And, you know, watching Bo-Katan and Dinjarin interact is like witnessing a walking debate. It's, 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 it's a very cool thing to see because these are two people who care deeply about, about that what it means to be a Mandalorian, yeah, and they believe it from kind of different directions. Each one has a different approach. I mean, of course, she is from, she was part of Death Watch, which um, you know left Mandalore and kind of moved into um, Concordia. Um, of course, her family, the royal family, the Creases, um, had hold of Kalevala, which is where we see her um, sitting and sulking in this episode and the previous one. But you know, eventually. Out of Death Watch came, you know, the watch, and there's like a whole stuff that list of things that happened that kind of led to, you know, Darth Maul getting there and everything being taken from him as well. You know, she kind of, um, she kind of worked with, as she said, the the Jedi to come back with that. She's talking about Ahsoka. She's talking about Obi Wan. These are very interesting people, and as you said, Obi Wan kind of was in a secret relationship with her sister, which was very funny. I mean, at one point he says something like. If he had said the no, word, he, he would have I would left, have the, left Jedi the Jedi order. I'm like, asked. you liar. Stop lying to her. Okay. No, he would have not told him my mother. Okay, don't fine. Mother. Let's say I choose to believe it, but I don't know. That man, that man was very, very Jedi, but sure. Either way, it's kind of sad. Is if you, democracy. It, Sorry, you got that <laughs> in my head now. <laughs> oh, God. Democracy. I'm sorry. Okay. Which kind of democracy? Oh my god! I don't know. Like when I, I think when we saw that place that they were in 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 Mandalore, you know, if depending on how much you've seen the series, it it can be very. I think it can be very emotional for a lot of people. Like you kind of see the sense of of tragedy, I guess, because they've they've really moved through. They've moved through the real history of the place. Like if you've if you've seen the Clone Wars, right, you'll know that. Yeah. You know, this place that they're in is a domed city, which is surrounded by by sand. I mean, Mandalore was a very sandy planet. And, you know, the place that we see them walking um, bef before they, like, you know, they get into all the trouble they get into, I guess, after, between, somewhere. Um, there's so much trouble in the episode. <laughs> um, Obi-Wan and Satine used to roam these places, right? Um, you've seen the Clone Wars, you know the history, and like it probably hurts a lot to see that because you know what this place used to be. It used to be this massive domed city, but then because of the destruction, it's basically underground now. Um, everything is ruined on such a wild level. 
And, you know, that kind of is also calls back to, you know, good old science, <laughs> uh, chemistry, physics, because of course, sand plus heat generally equals glass. And we remember the armorer in the previous episode said that the surface of Mandalore is now crystallized because of the destruction. And the reason for that crystallization is the heat that turned the sand into basically glass. That's why everything is encased in glass. We see all this, um, all the, per the, the protruding, um, stalactites, stalagmites as well. Like it's all really, it's all really working to create this new atmosphere of the place that is clearly still recovering from something it may never really recover from. I mean, what were your thoughts on that when you saw it? Do you know what? It was really interesting because I think it felt more... This is going to sound weird that I'm saying this. It's, this felt the most Star Wars-y uh -huh. of all the post-Disney Plus shows I've watched. I don't know if that makes any sense. It didn't yeah, feel it like I thought I was actually watching a space opera. Like It was really fantasy-based. I think seeing the destruction, seeing the crystallized bits from the sand, um, from what the planet was, seeing like the waters and how murky everything was, the actual fanatical element of it all, it felt very, you know, George Lucas, Star Warsy and talking sequels, Star Warsy, more than prequels I'd say. Yeah. Than any of the other shows we've seen. Like they've done throwbacks. I've seen Luke Skywalker come back. I've seen Ahsoka Tano. I've seen Anakin and all that stuff. Like we've seen callbacks and we've seen past relationships and stuff, but I've never, I think the only show I ever felt like this feels Star Wars was Obi-Wan. But I think that's because it was Hayden and Ewan on, yeah. on the show. That's probably why it felt like that. But this felt like, okay, I'm in star wars and seeing the what it is basically being a space opera which i think was interesting the jump it made from being a western at the start of the episode to a massive space opera within maybe 10-15 uh -huh. minutes into the episode um yeah, very and well yeah i wasn't ex i wasn't expecting it it's quite hard to make a jump like that into different themes because we're so used to the western element of mandalore even if the theme song is given the good the bad and the ugly that you, if Clint Eastwood was to pop out, you wouldn't really be too that, that surprised <laughs> by it. Um, so to go from that to a massive space opera and seeing what the place actually looked like and seeing, despite its destruction, its beauty of it, when it still maintains it, you can still see to some extent what he was. And when Bo-Katan talks about her father and stuff and what he was doing on the planet and here um, and the things he did to protect uh, Mandalore, you could also, you could see uh, what he what it was it's like um you know lord of the rings when they went to oh now the name of the place is out of my head but the guy that was being controlled by thingy oh my days why well, can't not remember it but yeah when he was being controlled by sauron and the whole but you whilst the place looked an absolute mess the place looked disgusting the place looked like trash because obviously he was being controlled by sauron um yeah. well saruman and Sauron, basically. Um, but you can still see the beauty of the place. That's what this reminded me of. I, I wasn't expecting it to look like that. The set designers did a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant job. Amazing. To create that amazing Thank God for job. Disney money, Actually, huh? Disney money, they gave them checks upon checks upon checks because it's really hard to create a, a destroyed, polyptic world whilst at the same time still seeing what it was. Like, yeah. I can still see what it was. Because it's very easy to do the whole apoptotic thing, and you know, we're like, well, what did it look like before? Mm hmm Yeah. Whereas if you're, if we're actually seeing like, oh, like this was actually probably quite a nice place. 
Yeah. Like if we came here about maybe, you know, 30, 40 years ago before Palpatine decided to go full on Nazi, I think we'd have had a good time. <laughs> oh, God. That actually can't stand that guy. I actually, oh, no, I actually can't yeah, stand he, him. Yeah, no, he's, he's pretty bad. Um, yes, I mean, pretty it's bad moving around. It, it's, yeah, it's, you know, I think it's it's interesting how there's so much back and forth. I mean, travel is such a big part of warfare in the in the Star Wars universe. I think it makes sense since, you know, their world is so sprawling. And, you know, while they're, while they're arriving, Din does say that he grew up on Concordia, which makes a lot of sense, um, especially when you consider the things I just mentioned about the origins of the watch. Um, you know, the show definitely wants us to understand that Mandalorian system of planets as something that's important to them. And I think it really lends credence to, you know, their people's general pension for interstellar navigation. I think it was, uh, speaking of navigation, I think it was good to see that his jetpack still worked. Um, I wondered why he didn't use it to navigate the surface when he first got off the ship. I was thinking, how do you know you're not going to sink once you step out? Exactly. But I guess he just didn't need it. I thought something was going to break, but it was fine. Uh, that was the least of his problems in this episode. Um, Speak of the navigation, actually. Yeah. What great character development for my little creature, Grogu. Where he uh-huh. was taught in the first 15 minutes where everything was and where Kalanava was, where Bo-Katan mm-hmm. was. And then as soon as his dad was in trouble, he's like, let me get myself yeah. into the ship and knew exactly where to go. And I'm like, oh, look great. at you grow, growing up. Are you actually more than my heart? You. I mean, the fact like that he says, you know, yeah, he says get, get to Bo-Katan, right? And he just has faith that he knows exactly how to do that. And it turns out that, that he does know. I think that's, that's really fun, you know? Um, I mean, even, even in that, um, even in, even in the, the, the fighting, like, I mean, let, let, let's take it kind of in chronological order, right? So they, they get down from the ship. They send in R5D4, which is like a whole series of Easter eggs on his own. Um, I don't know if we should start talking about that, but I guess to summarize, that's like a droid that almost went along with like everything that happened in the original Star Wars movies, but instead yeah. it turned out to be R2-D2. And then this droid just never left. And Filoni wanted to make it clear that the droid never left. So they put some destruction yeah. on him. And now he's with Peli. And now he's here. And they show him having a personality. Um, at some point, they even may have said in some non-canon stuff that he had like Jedi links and, you know, force sensitivity, which is just a lot to deal with. But yeah, R5-D4 is here. He's scared to go, but he goes anyway. He gets attacked. Din Djarin goes and saves him. And then he's attacked by some guys. Now, you ask yourself, like, who are these guys he's fighting? Um, I think a less confident, more spoon-feeding show probably would have um, had him tell us who they were through some kind of internal monologue. The show likes to give us context instead, though, and it allows us to pick up on things over time. I think the realization is a part of the journey, and the writers really want that for us. Um, having said that, it does make sense for Bo-Katan to tell Grogu who they are later on, because it proves, A, that Din didn't really know since he hadn't been there before. And it makes sense not just because it's in her own personality and disposition to speak that way, I mean, since she's sentimental, but because they were already in conversation. She's kind of unknowingly or maybe unwittingly taking up this um subconscious mantle of being the teacher it's, it's very interesting also that she calls din his dad uh, i know you you probably enjoyed oh. that quite a lot yeah but the guys that um they were fighting are these people called the alamites and i find the alamites very interesting not just because of how fierce they are but you know it makes some sense since those guys may have been the initial inhabitants of mandalore before the humans 
showed up and made the place their home. I mean, they have tusks just like the Mythosaur does. I mean, we've never seen them anywhere. So I wonder if that's just a thing because she said that they were going to be their next meal. Maybe they're kind of like an evolved species of Mythosaur on some level. Who knows? Either way, it's clear that the Mandalorians really like fought them and dealt with them. They lived on the outskirts, right? So I think I think that it makes a lot of sense that they would still be there surviving. The fact that they could survive could mean a lot for what humans might be able to do with Mandalore um, newly. Um, those are kind of these villains that they keep fighting. We see Grogu use the force a little bit, which is nice. And I think it's clear that Bo-Katan is clearly no joke. You know, we're used to seeing Din being the untouchable one, the most competent fighter. We know it's it's very good. For the show to make it clear that he's not the only stealthy Mandalorian around. I mean, she has serious battle experience. And anyone who's watched the Clone Wars will know that. She knew exactly how to suss out the Alamites, as well as how to take them on. And, you know, that's that's very cool, I have to say. The way she used that dark saber, I stood up and applauded. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, we, we've heard that, like, it requires real strength of mind. At first, I was like, is Din avoiding using the dark saber? This Which, by the way, being... now I think the answer is yes. Yeah, he's, is there a part of him that's iffy about being the one that possesses it? And I think so. Because it's when Clone Wars, it was that Satine um, said that um, the ability of wielding your emotion and your power allows you to use the Darksaber properly. Yeah. So I kept thinking, Din, man, it sounds very Kumbaya Kumbaya and very Karate Kid and like Rocky and, you know, to have got action. But it makes so much sense, doesn't it? But like... He needs to actually understand he's a good person. Yeah. <laughs> and he's done nothing wrong. And he's allowed... He has the Jon Snow complex. Which yeah, is that he really does. Someone, someone who realistically is a good, innately, despite of everything, innately a good person, is unable to understand that actually it's okay for you to wield power because you're going to use it responsibly. And everyone around you because I think that's watching this episode was the first time I saw Bo-Katan actually properly respect him. Yeah, she was definitely going through an emotional roller coaster in this episode. She was like, you know what? Damn right. You were right about that mythosaur. I- I'm sorry, man. Yeah, I mean, you were right. speaking speaking of like, in fact, I'm glad you mentioned Jon Snow because in a sense, we can kind of see her as Daenerys because... She is Ooh. of royal blood and has been taken away from this or from this planet that she feels is her right to rule. She's coming yes. back and she wants to rule the Mandalorians, but they've turned away from her because she doesn't have the dark saber. And they have a chance now to turn towards an outsider who does not want to rule, has no and has no pension for it, mm. but is suited for it because of his position. So it's really kind of like John and and Daenerys, Daenerys. in that way. I You're mean, right. the, I wonder if they're going to piggyback, back that, piggyback off of that more with, you know, what if there's some type of romance brewing? I don't think that that's going to really yeah, be the case. I don't think they'll do romance. Yeah, I think, I think that they have like bigger plans, but I do think there's going to be kind of a co- like a conflict of ideas. First of all, there'll be an agreement. I think she's going to have a connection with him. And then there might be some kind of conflict that goes, that, that draws them away when she starts to see him even more um as a rival than she already does so i think that not only can, not only is he iffy in general about using the saber because of like where his head is you know i think that affects his ability to use that because when he tried to use it in season two right he he was asking why it's so heavy and it was heavy because he didn't know exactly what to do he didn't know how it? to wield it because his because i mean it was it said before i mean when sabine ren was training with it for example that 
it's kind of like moving raw power around. It's not just the blade that's an extension of you. You have to believe you can do it. And when Bo-Katan is using it so eff- so like efficiently, so effectively, it's because she is strong-willed. She knows exactly what she needs to do. She has a strong sense of purpose in that moment, which is to survive against this scavenger guy, which, you know, I guess we can talk about him too. That's, that's like a lot going on. Lots of callbacks with him ranging from, you know, pressurized helmets and, and and enclosures to, you know, even Vader and Grievous in terms of the way that he's a cyborg. I mean, this guy may have been around since like the rebellion. Like he, he may have been here for like a very long time. Like that's, it's very interesting to me that there's a guy there who's siphoning dude's blood. Okay. What the heck was that? <laughs> like, how are you just down here feeding on people? Like what? what? The, the, yeah, I, I wasn't prepared for that. Because I think they may play off as like the main, obviously the main plot point in Revenge of the Sith um, was the idea that Anakin and Obi-Wan had the same beliefs of the Empire and democracy and stuff, but they had two different methods of going about how to achieve it. Oh, and Mace Wind yeah. doing that as well. They both uh-huh. believed in the idea that the current system is wrong and it needs to be revamped. Obviously, Anakin he did what he did. I'm not, we're not going to. We don't need to go into that again because it upsets me. Um, and I think he <laughs> upsets me so much. Oh, he got back to the good side in the end, but great in the end. And it's sort of the same thing here. Like, is that Din and um, Bo are going to have very roaring ideologies on how to achieve certain things? Because I think Din may be free everything that's happened to him since the beginning of the Mandalorian probably was going to be maybe be more amenable to agree with Bo-Katan probably mm-hmm. slightly more amenable but it'd be easier to convince him but obviously with everything that's happened to him with everything he's been going through with Grogu his own experiences and his own character development he's obviously changed as a, as a human being and as a man and what he views as Mandalorian and, and the, the fact that he thinks he's done wrong I think heightens yeah. his belief. Sort of like the he idea like... He feels unworthy, undeserving. Exactly. Like, you know, if you're like religious, whether you're Christian or Muslim or whatever it is, and you feel like you've sinned, that it even goes into one of two things. You just completely steer away from the sin itself and God and who, whatever deity you, you believe in. Or you'll go all in to sort of cleanse yourself of this very sin that you think that you've committed or you've made that you've committed. I think Din's at that stage. And it'll be very interesting to see what happens when Din has his full realisation and self-concept moment where he realises, you know what, like, I didn't do anything wrong. And this see what happens there. This is not on me. And it's, it's going to be a similar position where I think he's in a place where Luke was in Attack of the not Tack of the Clothes. Well, I've got Tack of the Clothes stuck in my head. It's because uh, I've got Hayden Christensen stuck in my head. Um, he's going to yes. be in a similar place to where he I was... I delivered from that. <laughs> he's in a place where Luke was in The Empire Strikes Back when he's training with Yoda, when he was struggling with learning how to use the Force in that very short 20-minute lesson he was in. Yeah. How he gained all the knowledge of the Force then. I don't know, but that's a conversation for a different day. And I think <laughs> Yoda obviously kept telling Luke sort of the same thing that Din sort of needs to hear. So I, I wonder if someone will tell it to him, whether it will be by or someone else. He will tell mm-hmm. Din, like, you know what? Like, you need to let go of the things that are weighing you down. Then you'll be able to do what you want to do. Because you're never going to get anywhere if you keep holding on to the baggage. And I think that's Din's... 
as much as he's developed, he's never let go of that baggage. Understandably so. He went through it. <laughs> like, you've been through it. Even watching the last 18 chapters, you've been through it. But he's never yeah. going to get to the place where we know he can get to and being able to wield the dark. Because I feel like he can wield the dark. So that's what's making it so frustrating to watch. Because I'm like, yeah. if you just believe in yourself, like, that if you don't believe in yourself, who the hell is going to believe in you? I feel like I need to preach to him. Like, can you, I, you don't think he's going to get there? I think he will get there. That probably okay. is what's going to make this a lot more interesting to watch. And I think watching his inner conflict deal with the ideal self-belief because I feel like he's very good at instilling the belief in others like he did with um, with Boba Fett and as he did with, has been doing with Grogu the entire time even with Bo-Katan like he instills belief in everyone else but he can't then instill it within himself because he doesn't feel that he's worthy so he will have his moment I'll I'll be so happy when he has his moment because I think he needs that sort of breakthrough moment. I think someone needs to really, like, tell him, like, you know what? It probably may be Bo-Katan, that, mm-hmm. you know what, like, you are worthy of wielding this Darksaber. Yeah, yeah, you know... Because it when has she to offered... be, it has to be her. It has to be yeah, her. Yeah, it does. It does, and I think she's kind of even getting on that journey as we speak. I mean, when she offered to take him to the, to the waters... I wondered if that was fishy. I was like, hmm. Even Grogu mm. looks suspicious of her. He's like, are you trying Grogu, to kill us? Like, what? Grogu hates her. He hates... He hates... Have you noticed? Every time she's on the screen, he's side-eyeing And her. every time she's mentioned, he's like, mm, I don't know. Because, I mean, it's, it's, it's very funny. You're a threat funny, to my like, dad. Yeah, like, I think over time, we'll get a better idea of what she's planning or what she might decide to plan. I mean, right now, I know she's having a crisis of faith, a lack of purpose. But you know, maybe she's actually going to become the medium bad, like we like we postulated um, in the last episode. But then again, it's like, does she actually care for Dinjarin in some way? Does she not want him to die? Does she have actual respect for him? No, she. I cares. know by the end of the episode, she does for sure. Um, I mean, because they get to those waters, and even before they get there, you know, she's talking about her dad, talking about how he died in battle, and you know, he stops. And he looks at her and he says, this is the way. And this is the keeps way. Moving. And she's just so shocked. And it's like, that's, first of all, excellent helmet acting, Pedro. You know, like, just good oh. at whatever you do. You know, this, I mean, you really felt that. You felt that, you know, even if you don't believe what the creed is, even if you're frustrated with everything, even if you don't mind being an apostate, you know, I still believe in this stuff. I still want to redeem myself. And I am still the type of person who is willing to honor your father and honor you at, by extension. I mean, that's just conviction. That's amazing conviction. I mean, when he gets to the waters, she's expecting him to be disappointed and you know not want to do anything, but he just silently starts to take off his stuff and he gets into the water and he's reciting that creed. I mean, this means a lot to him. And I didn't even expect this to go that plan to really work out so well like right from the beginning i didn't i thought we'd wait episodes for this so i'm glad this is happening now it shows that they have real plans for the pacing and amazing stuff is coming along which we get hints of by the end when he gets pulled in because i mean of course some he got he goes into that water and something collects him nothing is ever easy in these tv shows bro like did he first of all did he have to walk in that deep the way my jaw dropped when i saw it was an actual mythosaur that took him that was I mean, I was like, wow, this, this there's so many, like, there's a whole host of implications <laughs> from that. Man, like, man, you're right. My man has suffered. He really for three has. Three years. I'm like, why are we going to yeah. have an episode? He eats his pog soup. 
for eating little biscuits to the Grogu. And yeah, it's cool to see him just, still learning things. Yeah, with that. Yeah, they just shoot. Stuff. They just shoot. They just shoot the crap with each other. Why does he need to go through all this <laughs> for what reason? Because sometimes I look I at don't him. Know. Really have suffered, haven't you? Like you just need a little like you need to go to a bar, have a couple of drinks, you know what I mean, and chill, or go to the bar, have you know, have you know, Jar Jar and his and his fellas sing a few songs for you. Like he, like he he needs to be he needs to be somewhere. Cause I'm like why? Because when that Mythosaur grabbed him, I thought of course, of course, <laughs> literally you're never gonna of make course. For him. You're never gonna make things easy for him. He's trying to remove sin of him. And you'll go, you know what? Let's even make that difficult for you. Yes. Let's even make she that difficult for you. She rushed to save him so fast, though. I liked that. She, like, she, didn't, she, she, she Before even thinking about it, she was already going to save him. She, even the that fact is, that, that is she, nice. Exactly. Even the fact that she went to see him. Because she was like, this guy needs another newbie star fireman. He needs to go. He needs to go. As soon as Grogu comes in and does his little thing, and she says, oh, he's in trouble. And she's like, okay, we're going now. What happened to him? Tell me what happened right to now. him right what, now. Tell me right now, that like, what happened to him? Like she, she said, we're gonna, we're gonna catch, we're gonna catch people, we're gonna catch these ups. Yeah, and that, like that was good. That was good character development. I was like, you, you almost made me like you. I'm not there yet. Almost. I still almost. prefer your I sister. Mean, I'm, um, I'm, I'm there. She's getting me. She's getting to me. She's getting to me. Katie Sackhoff is doing an amazing job. Yeah, exactly. It's because what she did to her sister is in my head. I know what you did. To your sister, I'm never Look, gonna forget. She had that. to do what she had to do. Okay. Nope. Um I think. <laughs> okay. At the very you least, let that, maybe... you let that red-faced man of uh, all people. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What she did was bad. I can. I definitely acknowledge that. I mean, for anybody who who doesn't have context, um, she essentially. Oh, that's bad. Helped, yeah. Sorry. She essentially had helped Darth Maul overthrow her sister because when she moved um, with Death Watch to Concordia, um, her sister, Satine Kreese, stayed on Mandalore and actually ruled the planet on behalf of the royal family. When Darth Maul came in and like betrayed everybody, you know, Bogatan was there, but then she helped to overthrow Darth Maul in the end um, with the help of the Jedi. So yeah, there's a lot of history and guilt there. And I think she's trying to, well, that might be one of the reasons she's trying to, you know, take control and rule the Mandalorians like she did briefly because she wants to make sure that everything was worth it. Maybe she feels bad for what happened to her sister and she kind of wants to make up for that. But her own performance, like I said, Katie Sackhoff, she's on point. Din's commitment oh, she's to the creed is so clear. Yeah. Um, and that that's proof of Pedro's performance being on point as well. I think it was really moving every time they they interacted. And I think there's a slight chance that his strong faith and conviction could really reignite a sense of belief in her. I think, you know, she's clearly shaken by the Mythosaur. I think, I mean, we're all surprised and somewhat pleasantly surprised by the Mythosaur being there, but she is shaken up. And I think it was an excellent choice to end the episode right there once they get back to the surface. Because it's true. Because she disbelieved everything. Now she's like, whoa, like the spirit of Mandalore is alive. The Mythosaurs are real. I haven't been here since I was a kid. What does this mean? I'm having like even a bigger crisis now. Like ending it there is such a good choice because like, like I said, that thing being there has a whole host of implications. And I love it. I love it. This ep- like this was an excellent episode too. The amount of ruckus the end of that episode can now cause causes future implications for the entire universe. Like honestly, guys, please, if you've um, this is my plea. If you've not watched 
the Clone Here Wars and Rebels. Please watch mm-hmm. the Clone Wars and the Rebels. It makes like oh, I'm being deadly serious when I say it's my favorite Star Wars property outside of yeah. the main sequels. Like it's animation. It's thirty minutes an episode. You can binge it very quickly. I promise you. It's you can get through season. It's all well. on Disney Plus. Plus, Dave Filoni is obviously behind all these properties, along with John Favreau, and they have such and John, Dave Filoni and John to some extent was was this is particularly Dave was so heavily involved in Clone Wars and Rebels. It just makes watching this so much better because then you get all the callbacks. Also, watch Bad yeah. Batch. That's a good damned good TV show. That doesn't get enough love from people. That's really bloody good TV show. Like some yeah, of the cartoons of Star Wars, it's so it's so good. But specifically, please watch Clone Wars. Like it's the period of time um between Attack of the Clones and um Revenge of the Sith, and it's brilliant. Plus, you get to know Anakin as you get to know Anakin more as a human being. You get to know Satine, obviously what Bo-Katan, he was, what he was before he died. <laughs> You get to know Obi-Wan yes. more. It makes watching Revenge of the Sith actually a lot more heartbreaking and it actually puts into perspective a lot of these other shows. Like, even people like Ahsoka. Ahsoka was from the Clone Wars. Like, please, if you've never watched it, watch it, man. That's good content. Dave Filoni, I'm doing your job for you. People need to watch it. I was sat every afternoon on Cartoon Network and stuff watching this stupid Clone Wars like a freak. Crying over Obi Wan and that, but yeah, please, 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 mm-hmm. please, please watch it if you've not watched it. It's really, really good. If you're into really good cartoons and heavy emotive characters, then watch it. Rebels is just as good. You're gonna see Ezra and all these guys, anyways, moving forward in the Ahsoka show. So you may as well watch it now. Don't watch it for Hayden Christensen, even though you should. <laughs> you heard it here first. I'm I'm doing Dave Filoni's job, honestly, because I need people to. Because I think I didn't... It sounds stupid, because obviously, like, you don't really realise how important the Clone Wars is until you watch other shows and you get all the yeah. callback to the Clone Wars. I yep. don't know if that makes I any sense. You. Like, when I was watching the Bone Fat and obviously with Cad Bane and everything, and you're like, damn, like, this is in this episode of Clone Wars and all that stuff. So if you haven't watched it, watched it. That's my soapbox thing done. Yep, you have definitely made your case. Um, there are lots of reasons to to really get into this show. I mean, at this point, we've covered everything, but that way that the show is just so sprawling in its story is is pretty amazing. I mean, my brother is a massive Star Wars fan, and he's always talking about how Star Wars, the real Star Wars, is these TV shows, especially Clone Wars. The movies are kind of like <laughs> summaries, or like spark notes of like what really is going on, because all the main stuff is given context in in these shows again especially the clone wars i mean so much happens in it it's it's widely considered really the the biggest star wars property i think the mandalorian and andor are doing a good job of living up to that standard yeah um, i think andor definitely did yeah that's also the world very of the good show it. yeah the, the world of the, sh- the, the world of the world of the show is just really uh, it's it's created um, obviously by a lot of people who are working very hard to make the story make sense, um, not the least of which is um, attributed to the music. Um, I know, like, you know, I'm always the music guy because, well, I am. But I always feel like when these 
guys, these composers do their job well, they really tend to be the unsung heroes of these shows, particularly when it comes to setting the tone. The music in the show is done by Ludo Garnson. And I must admit that I do feel more of a connection to the work of Ramin Jabadi, um, who does the music for the Game of Thrones shows and Westworld. But Garnson is a real G. Uh, not oh, only has amazing. he, cre- yeah. Not only has he created the incredible sounds that we know and associate with this show, but he also um, worked on Fruitvale Station, um, the Creed movies, and even Tenet. Black which Alpha. that that yeah, that last one is actually um, proof of how impressive he is because Christopher Nolan usually works with Hans Zimmer, um, but and he, he worked said, with nah, nah, nah. for for Tenet. You long haired man, come here. Yeah. And Nolan also has him working on Oppenheimer, his upcoming film. So as if that and, and, and if that wasn't in, yeah, and if that wasn't enough, you know, he also Garson also did the original score for the Black Panther movies. I mean, his resume is extensive. Um, though perhaps my favorite thing he's done is all the stuff he's made with Donald Glover. Um, among many, many, many other things, they have they are the ones who work together to create that iconic opening riff for the Childish Gambino song Redbone. Uh, as well as a lot of um, his other music. I mean, Gorenson is all over the place. Disney loves him, and he's working on a lot of stuff for them. And he's still working on a bunch of stuff for Donald Glover, too. So um, it's it's very cool to have him here on this show. I mean, whenever the episodes end, I love watching these, like, these, I don't know what to call them, like these, like, watercolor almost paintings that show up yeah. from, like, scenes of the episode, kind of like concept art. Um, that clearly drove the direction of the story and the blocking. And I love listening to like the ending song kind of playing over that. Um, it's just, oh, it's, it just really lends to the atmosphere. That, it's, it's that well Mando made. theme is, I sort of said, dun, 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 dun. I can't skip this, I can't skip it. <laughs> I'm absolutely yeah, it, it, It's always good when you have a song that you, that you don't want to skip. Um, but yeah, that is that is it from us today, people. Thank you so much for listening. It's uh, it's very clear that the show is going in very interesting directions, and we're looking forward to seeing the story that um, that John Favreau and Dave Filoni are, are trying to tell here. Um, definitely stay tuned to our feed for just about everything. I mean, we have episodes coming out that are going to be talking about you, uh, which Priscilla is also on, and we have an episode out on Cocaine Bear, which might be most insane film of this of this year so far so um definitely check that out um let us know what you think and definitely share this podcast with anybody who you know is interested in these properties but um until next time this is the way see you soon bye